And I entitled today's message, A Servant of All. Now, uh, lest we disconnect from this message, I need to define two terms because I'm going to be speaking to a certain group of people. The two terms are this. Number one, let's hit the issue of what does Christian mean? I want to define what Christian means. Christian means that you have placed yourself under a banner that says, I believe Jesus to be real, true and accurate, and I believe in him and trust in him as my Lord and Savior. If you have made that statement and you would define yourself as a Christian, then I'm about to talk to you, but you have to fit one other uh, criteria. Second definition, leader. Now you're going to go, oh good, it doesn't have anything to do with me. Leader is defined too many times in a narrow way. My, my favorite definition of leadership is by John Maxwell. He said this, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Influence. So, let's spin it back to you. If you have influence over any other person in this world, you are a leader in that regard. For example, you're on the PTA board. You have a group of friends that will listen to you. Your neighbors know who you are and you are in discussion with them. Your cubicle area at work, your unit at work, your field of play in sports. Wherever you hold influence, you are a leader there. I would suggest to you that everyone here is a leader somewhere. So in that arena, I'm talking to you. No one is outside this umbrella, in my opinion. Now, you can make that determination. But there is even something that is called reverse leadership. Reverse leadership means you are a follower, there's a leader over you, and yet periodically they look down to you in a conversation and they say, hey, what do you think? Every time they say, what do you think, or you invest in them back, that's reverse leadership. You're actually guiding them. Now, all great leaders are open to feedback, but every time you give that feedback... You're leading. So I would tell you that no matter where you are in life, you have areas of leadership. And if you call yourself a Christian, this message is specifically for you. The fill in the blank in front of you is this. Christian leaders are held to a higher standard. Christian leaders are held to a higher standard. Why? Let's talk about it practically. They're held to a higher standard because the world can go research what you're supposed to be like. There you go. You use the term Christ in your title. I'm a Christian. They can physically go back to a book that talks about what he was like and they will hold you accountable to that. You have none of that on them. How, are you, how is your leader at work supposed to handle himself? You don't know. You're making it up. And you have to argue for it, right? You have to go, you're not treating me fairly. And bottom line, they can throw back at you and go, and who says? There's no guidelines for me. There's no one that I've said I'm under their banner. I've never said I will be a leader like this guy. I've never told you that. 
You're putting false expectations on me. I can be any sort of leader I want, but the world can go back to black and white print, figure out how Jesus acted and said, you're not like him. And you tell me by definition, you're like him because Christian means what mimic of Christ, little Christ. You're trying to run around your whole life and act like him. So the world can look and go, you're not doing real well. Look at that. He treated people like this. You don't. So whether you like it or not, being under the banner of Christ puts you in a different category in their minds. Is that fair? Doesn't matter. Their perception creates a reality. So yeah, they're going to hold you to a higher standard. Should we be held to a higher standard? In some ways, yes, we should. Now, obviously, they're going to place things on us that are unfair. A lot of people place on Christians. Oh, I think I just lost something there. They place on Christians the demand to be mature. That's unfortunate because we are not mature. We're all in various stages of growing up. Being a Christian ultimately to begin with means I'm lost. I can't solve my own life. And I need a savior from that point forward. We're in a growth process, but other people don't know where you're at in the process. So they're going to try to nail you as if you're at the end in a mature place. Now we're about to open up this letter. Once again, this ancient letter that Paul wrote about what 62 AD, something like that. So we're going way back in time. But in order to understand this, we need to understand one specific thing. Wherever there are leaders, they will be followed by people who criticize them. Paul, as much as we talk about him being a superman, right? He could do all kinds of stuff. He ended up getting beaten up and stoned and and with rods beaten. And then he was shipwrecked. and, And it goes on and on and on. This guy kept going and going and going. And we think, that man must be superhuman. He served a supernatural God, but he was a real guy. He had fears and doubts. As a matter of fact, everyone you're going to read about in all of scripture, except Jesus, was a sinful, regular human being. One of the highest volume quotes in all the Bible is don't be afraid. Why? Because we're all scared out of our minds. There you go. That's everybody. Even these leaders, wherever you lead, you may be afraid. You may realize, I don't have the strength to lead in this area. I'm not built to lead in this area. But wherever you have influence, you're already doing it. We just want to do it rightly. We just want to do it like Jesus would be honored that we do it. I know you don't want the whole package, but you're growing into it. But Paul got criticized everywhere he went, and it really bothered him. It really hurt him. No matter what church he started, when he left, people came in behind him and said he's bogus. Now, I want you to make this real practical and personal. Let's say you're newer to the church, and if anybody's been here for six months or less, raise your hand. All right, so a number of you. Now, you don't know too much about me, but I'm sure you've had rumors right? What do you know about me? I mean, everybody's got rumors on me, right? What is he like? Is he kind of like this? Some of them good, some of them bad. Some people go, gosh, he's a little too friendly. I think maybe the guy's fake, right? 
I don't know what it is. I don't know what you have. Maybe the guy's a jerk. Maybe he's cocky. I don't know what you got. But you now have uh, six months to where you're trying to sort out what I'm like. Let's say right now I announce to you I'm gone. I'm taken off to go to another church. The little bit after that, you're going to have people come in and they're going to start talking about the past. And they're going to talk to you and they're going to say things like, you know what? Our new leader, this guy's awesome. You know, Lance was kind of, and they'll start saying something about what I was like. Well, you never got a chance to make a good impression about who I was. You feel a little bit lost. Paul didn't stay in a lot of areas very long. So people would sweep in and they'd go, let me tell you what that guy's like. He's not a good guy. As a matter of fact, just in this small portion of scripture alone, Paul has to address a series of attacks on his character. So these are things that they would say about Paul. Paul didn't really love you or he would have stayed longer. Paul only does the easy stuff, but when it gets hard, he bails out. Paul is wrong in his theology. Paul's in it for the wrong reasons, trying to use you for his greedy and selfish gain. Paul's just trying to be popular and tell you what you want to hear so you'll like him. But sometimes Paul's too harsh and he looks out for his own needs. And sometimes somebody may have even thrown this one out. You realize Paul's a criminal, right? You know he has a record. Right? Isn't that what they could have thrown at him? I mean, that guy's been in jail, right? A lot. And so they're going to go, you're really going to trust this guy. I mean, everybody's been saying stuff about him. What, he, he incites riots and he's anti-government. And they start throwing all this garbage that he's been attacked for. Paul is about to write back to people that he loves dearly and try to clear his name and, go, and say, and he will say this five times, you know me. I know I wasn't with you that long. We don't know how long he was with them, whether it was three weeks to six months. But he said, you know me. I looked you in the eye. You examined me. You know what I'm like. You know I'm a good guy. And let me go back and remind you. Would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's almost all the way to the right in your Bibles. It's page 835. 835 to so the Bibles handed out to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1. Let's see what we have. I'll just read the first couple verses, then we'll pray, and then we'll get started tearing it apart. He said, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. Now, we had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. That's pretty straightforward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in our area of influence, may we grow to be like you. Bottom line, Lord, you've given us an amazing task, an amazing opportunity and ability to speak into people's lives. When that window opens, may we bless them and not harm them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I will certainly say this as we begin. If you are a parent, you are a leader. Hands down. There's not even argument about that. All right? So anyone that has children, you have to pay attention to this message if you're a believer. All right? All right, let's get into this. Now, he starts out, like I said, five times saying, you know me, you know the scenario. Meaning you got to remember this. Don't let these guys come in and give you a whole different scoop on how it went. You were there. They weren't there. You know, brothers, meaning we're family here. He's going to use in one small passage, three different family analogies, father, mother, brother. He's saying we are all family in this. And he uses in two books, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, the word brothers 28 times. He said, we're family, we're connected. I suffer with you, you suffer with me. It's how family goes. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. Meaning it was not empty. We have a very, very short attention span. We have an even worse memory. So God will do something amazing in our lives and we stop giving him praise for it because we don't even remember it anymore. Our new problems eclipse our old miracles. You know what I'm talking about? So sure enough, he said, why are you even thinking that it was a waste? Of course it wasn't a waste. That word in Greek means empty. No, it wasn't empty that I went and hung out with you all that time. No, it wasn't a waste. Look at you. You're a church. You didn't used to be a church. Now you're all fired up for the Lord. Miracles are happening in your midst. As a matter of fact, you are a role model church. Of course it wasn't a waste. Everything we did together mattered. Stop calling it a failure just because it's hard. No, it wasn't a failure. He said, let me remind you what happened. Verse 2. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi. Do you remember this story? I just shared it with you last week. If you missed that, you might want to grab that podcast for the detail. But here's what happened. He said, the first time we showed up in Europe, we come into a town known as Philippi. Things start going really well. Then some people get angry at us because of our ministry. They incite a riot. We're insulted. We're grabbed by a mob, brought before the leaders. They told lies about us. The leaders believed them, grabbed us, stripped us naked, and beat us in public. We were then thrown into jail. The whole time we're innocent. You know that we suffered, right? You know that the next day when they let us go, while our backs still had all the welt marks, while we were still thrashed, we walked a hundred miles down to your city and started proclaiming the gospel. You remember that, right? Guys, you know that. I said, hi, my name's Paul, and I turned around and you said, what happened to you? You remember that? Come on, it wasn't that long ago. We're maybe six months from when I saw you last. It's not like we're having to go back years, guys. You know this, as you know, but with the help of our God giving us boldness, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. That word of our opposition is agonai in Greek. I think we're pretty close on what that means, right? He said, really? You guys are questioning my character. Okay, what am I doing? Obviously, this doesn't make me happy and popular. I got beat. 
right? Then I walk down to you. Everybody's threatening me. Don't you dare bring up that gospel thing. Don't you dare bring up that Messiah thing. What did we do? We started preaching to you. Why? Because we're in it for God. We're not in it for ourselves. We're in it for ourselves. I would have done something completely different with my life. I didn't even want to do this. Maybe you don't remember my story. But God knocked me off a horse while I was trying to do something completely different. Shut me down and said, you will be mine and you will suffer for me. What, you think I'm happy about that call? No, that was lousy. Man, other people get cool stuff. I didn't. All I do is get hurt. So no, it's not about me. As a side note, when you suffer for sharing the gospel with somebody, in some ways that tells them that you're legitimate. Here's the thing. Every time you share the gospel with somebody that you know, you say, hey, Jesus Christ died for your sins, and I want you to know that he loves you. Their next reaction is, you're a freak, number one. Number two, obviously you're going to get something for this. You're selling me something. And when someone sells you something, they make a commission. So somehow you're getting something from this. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sharing it with me. Because quite frankly, I'm going to make fun of you. And when I make fun of you, obviously you're suffering so you can gain something. What do you get extra brownie points from your God? Is that what you get? They're immediately going to cast questions on your motives. If you go back to them again and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And they go, don't you get it? I don't want to know. Let it go. You're in this phase. I understand that. That's cool for you. But I think it's stupid. You can't even prove to me that there's a God. And they insult you. The very idea that you would dare go back to them again and suffer ridicule lends to the legitimacy that you're not doing it for yourself. Move on. Next verse. For the appeal that we make, meaning my team, the conversations we have with you, the ministry we do among you, the lifestyle evangelism that we do, that stuff does not spring from these motives. And he lists seven. He said, I know what everybody's saying about me. I know there's all kinds of garbage about my name. No, 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 no. It's not right. Number one, we did not walk in with error. Our theology is not wrong. I talked to Jesus Christ personally he said remember i didn't call him he called me he got on the phone called me right and he told me exactly what i needed to do i'm telling you what god communicated to me i didn't make it up if i would have made it up i would have made it up where i turn out a little better right i certainly would have made up a different story than this i did not i did not come to you with error or number two Impure motives. What's impure motives mean? Well, this is an interesting term in Greek. It largely means, and probably in this context, meaning coveting. Anybody know what coveting is? It's trying to get something for your own gain, wanting something else for you, for selfish gain. The weird thing is, is every time this is used in classical Greek or in the other uh, passages, it always has a sexual flavor to it. He said, hold up, I know that in this worldview, there's a bunch of weird worship going on. 
All these people are doing this pagan worship and it all involves sexual activity. So you got guys coming through town, women coming through town looking for sexual favors by their religious beliefs. They're going to come in and try to use you. I have never been that guy. I have never used you for my sexual benefit. I've never used you for my selfish gain. Number three, nor are we trying to trick you. That word means it's the Greek word for a lure that you attract a fish with. He said, is that how I preach to you? What, I'm always trying to bait and switch you? Am I always trying to promise you something? Oh, I want you to come to church and I'll give you this. Right now, I want you to begin to examine this. Is this how Bridgeway acts? Right. You walked into this church. Did we lure you in here? Oh, man, we got all this great stuff for you. And we're going to give you presents if you show up and we're going to, you know, our coffee's awesome. Right. I mean, we didn't promise you anything. You want to know about Jesus? Come. You don't stay home. Whatever. Right. I mean, I'm not here to try to lure you. I'm not here to try to tell you, man, I want the church to be bigger, so you got to do this, you got... No. If you want to know about the Word of God, we're going to teach the Word of God. If you want to be around a bunch of other believers that are straight up legitimate, and they're not trying to play games, then come hang out with us at Bridgeway. That's it. i got nothing else for you. Right? Oh, by the way, if you come here, I'm going to put you to work. You understand? I mean, we're not sitting here trying to lure you, and Paul goes, I didn't do that to you. I'm not trying to trick you. And then he says, on the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. That word in Greek means tested through a series of trials. He said, man, we've been put through the ringer. And God said, all right, let's go. Number four, we are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. He says, you really think we're into this for popularity? What, because we're trying to make you like us more? Why in the world was I in jail? Obviously, I'm not real good at it, right? If I'm sitting here trying to be more popular, now, I may be trying to be infamous, but I'm certainly not working at being popular. Was Paul a politician? Oh, man, no. You think Paul would ever win office? Absolutely not. Everyone hates him, right? I mean, he was not the whole, I promise I'll give this to you and I'll do this for you. And he's pretty tough, pretty straightforward. All right. Then he mentions number five you know that we never used flattery. Is everybody writing these things down, realizing that in your own leadership, you can't use any of these? Is everybody making this practical? How about with your kids? You doing this stuff? Is that how you're parenting? He said, we never use flattery. By the way, this is how flattery works. Uh, in dialogue because a lot of philosophers would wander through town. They wanted to get popular So they'd say certain nice things to people just to get them on their side So here's how it would work if i'm trying to use flattery on you. So pay attention and make sure I don't do this All right now, here's how it would go if I really want you to listen to me. Here's how the dialogue would go Bridgeway i've never been in a church that is so brilliant as you you see, I can talk about the deep things of God because you understand. I mean, all the, every, everywhere else I teach, you know, they don't have any clue. But you guys are so highly educated. And the way that you just grasp these concepts, right? I mean, it's almost like I can talk and, and I'm firing out all these truths of Scripture and you're just grabbing onto them and you're doing everything right. Right? Y'all understand how? Anybody smell garbage when I start talking like that? Yeah. 
You immediately start going, really, dude, really? That should, that should turn you off. Because you're going, wait, you're trying to flatter me. Right? And you know what? It works. Paul said, I didn't use that. I never did that to you. Then he says, nor did we, number six, put on a mask to cover up. We never pretended to be something we're not. Number seven, to cover up greed. There is a document, one of the earliest church documents we have in our possession is a document named the Didache. The Didache was published in AD 100. All right, let me give you an idea on how close that is to Jesus. Let's say Jesus died about 32 AD, all right? Now you slide forward, Paul is writing this letter about 62 AD. John wrote the book of Revelation about 90 AD. So this is all when these guys are just dying. John was the last one to die of the disciples or the apostles. 100 AD, they write down a book of rules for the church. In that book of rules, they have tests on how do you tell if the leader is bogus. They had to put that in right off the bat because everyone was trying to take advantage of everybody else. That's embarrassing. The early church was so beat up by people trying to use other people. So here was the rule. I thought this was rather comical. It's probably not funny to them, but it's funny to me. Remember, hospitality was the only way that traveling leaders would be able to be supported. Here was your rule to find out if a leader was bogus. If he rolls into town and stays at your house doing nothing like a leech for three days, he's bogus. That was it. If he comes in and uses you for up to three days, don't listen to him anymore. He's false. Because all he's doing is trying to get something from you. Now, that's embarrassing that you have to have rules like that. But that is what bad guys do. They come in and try to use the people they lead. Please don't be like that. I think of all the ways that insidiously slips into my own heart. How can I use the congregation for my benefit? How can I use my friendships to make me feel better about myself? How do I use people relying on me to make me feel more powerful? Right? Satan is always going to try to go into your area of influence and go, you do realize you could push this a little bit, right? You do realize you can take advantage of those people, right? I mean, at work, you can get people around you, if you work it right, to do your job for you. Kids, you can you have children and you can make them your slaves. You can make them do whatever you want them to do so that your life is more cushy and you take from your own children. You can do that. Do you understand how much of a monster that makes you? That's not what we do as Christian leaders. It should not happen in this church. It should not happen in our homes. That's not right. We are here to bless, not to harm. We are here to give, not take. Moves on. He said, we were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anybody else. As apostles of Christ meaning he and his crew that were sent out from God, we could have been a burden to you. What do you mean you could have been a burden to us? Because the rule goes like this, and Paul laid it down in two other books, 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians. Jesus said, if a guy is preaching the gospel, 
He deserves to get paid for it. He deserves to be supported if he is bringing it to you. He said, we could have brought that in. I could have said, I've argued that in other places to let you know that that's possible. But I never took advantage of that right, he said. Now, we could have, of course. The law even says to the priests who ran Israel, they always made a living off what they did. He said, yeah, that's how it goes. But I didn't do that to you for some very specific reasons. He said, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. This is kind of a weird phrase for tough Paul to use. Why? Because the word means we were like a nursing mom. You're like, what? What do you mean you're like a nursing mom? Literally, the word means nurse, wet nurse, a woman that nurses a child. You go, I don't, I don't get it. So you were gentle. All right, cool. So moms are gentle. I think it's deeper than that. When I went through and did all my research on this passage, all these different commentaries were firing in ideas on what it could possibly mean. And I came up with a rather cool list. Listen to this. Ladies, you may know this a little better than the gentlemen, but guys, listen and tell me if you are this type of leader. Here's a couple interesting things about nursing. If a mother doesn't feed herself, she can't feed her baby. Leaders, if you are not being fed by the word of God, you have nothing to give. Yeah? Number two, a mother must digest her food before it can become milk fit for her child. You need to own and know what you're talking about before you start delivering it out. Number three, if a mother digests bad food, it will make the baby sick. If you spend your life feeding on garbage, bad theology, reading bad books, meaning books that are from allegedly Christian people that are leading you astray, you're spending all your time listening to guys on TV that are garbage, then you're going to start spouting garbage to your children. That's not okay. Number four, it takes time, energy, and patience to raise a baby. Would you agree? Yeah. So give people a chance to grow up. Stop putting so many heavy demands on the people that you lead. They need a little time. Number five, the nurse of baby is personal and connected. Would you agree with that? That means you're invested in them. You give of yourself to them. You're open to them. And finally, to nurse a baby means that they're close to your heart by definition. The breast is near the heart where you can protect and shield and block out danger. That's how we treat those we lead. He said, we were like a nursing mother with you. We loved you so much, verse 8, that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our souls as well, because you had become so dear to us. As a leader, you must be emotionally available to those you lead. Dads, come on. Well, you think you're going to play the tough guy role? Oh, I'm a tough guy. Mom's going to be the emotionally invested one. No, you're wrong. And you're screwing your kids up. Become emotionally available to those you lead. Emotionally available to the children that you lead. Why? Because they need you. You're the one saying that you're protecting them, watching out for them. They need to know who you are. They need to know what you're all about. They need to know how to role model you, not only on the outside, but on the inside. That's what kind of leaders Christian leaders are. 
Surely you remember, verse 9, brothers, our toil, meaning exhausting work, and our hardship, the obstacles we went through with you. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Why? Why didn't Paul just roll in and go, hey, I'm going to be teaching you. Let me go ahead and just, why don't you guys just support me while I'm here? Because in another book of the Bible, he refers to these churches in this region as extremely in poverty. That's why Paul did it different. As a matter of fact, partly the whole reason he was supported in this area is he got money from the Philippian church, who was more wealthy. But when it came to the extreme poor, he asked nothing of them. So when I hear these leaders or these teachers out in the world and their specific ministry is tailored to get money from the poor, does that not strike you as injustice? He said, no, I received nothing from you. I could have. I could have said, hey, whatever you guys got, go ahead and support me. I didn't do that. I knew that you were extremely poor. And so I worked like crazy to make sure I was never a burden to you because I knew you were sensitive to that issue. He said... You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father. Oh, there's another analogy. Dad's how you're supposed to act. Check these words out. Not only did he just describe that you work hard to provide, he just said, I went through toils and labor and difficulty, right? Not only do you provide and work hard, but look at the next three words. A father, a Christian father, is supposed to be these things to his children. Number one, encouraging. Encouraging is actually a tougher word. It means to tell them what's right. Guide them in what's right. Encouraging them going, you must go this way for their benefit. Second word, comforting. That means soothingly reassuring. Is that what you are, dads? When your kids are hurting and they're distraught and they're worried, do you sit down, chill out the whole tough guy image, get gentle with them and say, you do know I love you, right? There's a little girl on my soccer team and I worry about her heart because she seems down. Every time I walk by her, I always go, hey, you know you're awesome, right? She smiles. And then I walk by her again another time and I go, you did awesome. High five, right? She smiles because she needs soothing comfort because her dad is really tough on her. Number three, fathers urge them to live lives worthy of God. That means intensely and with authority. Urge you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom in glory. Let's finish it up with this. And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Meaning, man, this is incredible. We walk in, we tell you about Jesus Christ, you believe it, you own it, and you change. That's extraordinary. 
For you brothers became imitators of God's churches in Judea. Meaning you automatically started looking just like the Jerusalem church. And you all know the apostles are in the Jerusalem church and they all died for their faith. They got beat up for their faith. It was brutal to minister there. They were in the very heart of Judaism who wanted them gone. And he knows what he's talking about. Why? Because he was one of the ones that made it so hard to live. Remember, Paul was Saul of Tarsus who killed Christians. I mean, he gets it. He knows. He was part of the problem. He said, you became imitators of the church back in Jerusalem, which is in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same thing that those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus, killed the prophets, and also drove us out. You're like, whoa, whoa, hold up. Did we just get anti-Semitic? Paul, did you just call them Christ killers? Is that what you just did? Is that what you're doing? How, how do you dare get away with that? Paul is very practical. What did he say? The Romans would have never killed him unless you handed him over. You want to be honest about it? Yeah. The Jews killed their own Messiah. How can I say that without a problem, he says? Because I'm a Jew of all Jews. I spend all my days loving on my people. I talk about how they are God's chosen people. I said actually to God, I would rather be condemned to hell than any of them be lost. I live, eat, and breathe my people. They killed their Messiah, and I was one of them. I was one that hated the church because I thought it was dishonoring to God. The whole reason they hate us Christians is because they feel it's dishonoring to their God. But look at the next phrase, but they displease God. I know they think they're doing it for all the right reasons. I did it because I thought it was the right reasons. I was wrong. And no, God was not pleased. He was hurt by what I did. They killed the prophets that God sent to try to correct them. And they constantly drive us out. As a matter of fact, history shows that while Paul was writing this very letter from Corinth, they were massing up an attack to root him out of the city. This is all going on right now. They displease God and they are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. In this way, they heap up their sins to the limit and the wrath of God has come upon them at last. Man, Paul's fired up. Why? Because he said it's not even just about bad leadership. They're killing people. They're running around stopping the gospel and it's the only thing that saves God will deal with them, he said. It's not my business to shut them down. It's God's business. All right, so let's close with what we know. Where you are a leader, do not use people. I don't know a more practical way to say it. Because it's not okay. When you leave someone else, they should be better than when you arrived. Right? We are here to be a blessing. Every one of us as Christians. Let's close in prayer and we'll watch this short closing challenge. And then let's go see what God has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we lay our lives at your feet and ask that you would make us into someone pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I want to notify you as a primary shepherd of this church that we, as leadership of Bridgeway, are not beyond being examined and held accountable. In the economy of Jesus Christ, the higher the title, the greater the demand for servanthood. We are ultimately here for you. Now, of course, we have jobs to do and we can't do everything that you want us to do. But if you ever see someone in leadership acting inappropriately or selfishly, using the flock for their own benefit, we need to know about it. Our desire is to be loving and kind and caring to you. But in that love, sometimes we're tough. And that's a good thing. Maybe you can take this week to consider where you are leading the flock of God and examine whether or not you are a good leader and a good shepherd in your own world. Are you leading like God would have you lead? Parent like God would have you parent? If not, then you have some changes to make. Thank you.